Welcome to the ACO Show. This is Joe Schunkweiler. I lead adoption and training here at Allidade. I'm Josh Israel, a medical director here at Allidade. And today is March 18th. We are talking to you in real time in the midst of this COVID-19 crisis. And we are here with Farzad Mostashari. Farzad, you are the CEO of Allidade. And also, you have a master's degree from the Harvard School of Public Health. You were an assistant commissioner of epidemiology services at the New York City Health Department. And you were an epidemic intelligence service officer at the CDC or a disease detective. So yeah. I will start by stipulating that you're probably a good person to be talking to. Today. Yeah, I never thought that this would be helpful in running this company, uh, my <laughs> medical epidemiology training, but here we are. So how's your week going, Farzad? <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's actually been uh, exciting. And it is that mix of kind of excitement and um, concern that that seems very familiar from the days of of investigating outbreaks in in New York City I was where I was mostly um West Nile virus and anthrax outbreaks and um so forth so it's it's it feels familiar um and it's also um there's a unity and urgency uh, that comes in these times which is which is really great to see how an organization responds Farzad, like so much these days, this has played out on uh, social media, in particular Twitter. And I know you in particular have had an interesting trajectory uh, throughout this process. Can you talk us through that a bit? I mean, I, I just, I like Twitter uh, because I feel like it's a way to to share and also to organize. It's almost like, you know, how you write, you organize your thinking. It helps me organize my thinking in terms of um, what are the issues of the day, you know, when we were shutting down to talk about um, how we were part of a national movement that was taking matters basically into their own hands because, uh, frankly, federal leadership had failed us. Um, and, and my hope that even though it's haphazard, even though it's, it's not as organized as it could be, and even though in some places we're probably – uh, it's the virus is not there yet. And in a way you could think of it as having, you know, incurred economic costs, uh, but other places, uh, unnecessarily other places, it's probably too late and we're not doing enough. Uh, but nonetheless, I felt some optimism that we, all of us acting individually could muddle through. And I thought it was important to share that feeling. And there was a, you know, huge response to that. There was also an earlier post when I was just like, oh my God, I am like, I am worried, folks. I'm worried we don't have a national strategy around and a clear understanding of what is it that we're trying to do? What is the strategy? When do we switch from containment and testing asymptomatics and contact tracing to mitigation or suppression um, to be able to put those thoughts out there and then see it it, it really kind of resonate with folks and, and be an opportunity to educate as well. Um, I really believe in, uh, and I know a lot of people don't, but I really believe in, in Twitter as a place where you can educate people if you, and, and able to reach some of the world's experts uh, as well. You know, if somebody had told me a couple of weeks ago that all these people would be staying home, not even for their own health, but to protect the health of other people yeah. in the community, I, I don't know if I would have believed it, but even my own kids, the first day where we essentially went to lockdown, they were quite angry at me because other people's kids weren't having to do the same thing. And now almost everybody's doing the same thing. And there's a, there's almost a nice spirit to it. It's, it's really been yeah. something to see. Yeah. And I, I thought that was a really helpful mental switch, Josh, to say, 
to our kids, this isn't about protecting you. You know, when, when, when my daughter said, oh, can I go to a cafe? I think it's low risk. I said, honey, it's not about whether it's low risk to you. You should think about whether at this time when everyone in the community is doing this, we as a community have decided we're going to do this. We want to do our part and we want to be part of this flattening the curve movement. And also think about it literally in your day-to-day, minute-to-minute interactions and movements and, and actions. Pretend you have it. It's not pretend you want to protect yourself from getting it. It's pretend you have it, right? And then you'll find that you're not touching people and not getting close to people and washing your hands a lot more uh, than if you take the other perspective of like, oh, you know, am I going to get it? Uh, so I, I think practically speaking, as well as spiritually, it it is a much, much more helpful frame of mind to say this is about uh, us and our social obligations. Farzad, you referenced flattening the curve. Uh, could you give a couple lines on that uh, in the interest of the education that you uh, discussed earlier? Yeah, I mean, the this this virus is um, uh, it's 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 you know as as it tends to with an R with a with a reproductive rate of say two point five two point six and a relatively um, short uh, doubling time. Uh, we could see it. I mean, the curve on a on a logistic scale is is straight, which means that on a, it's on an exponential curve, uh, increasing tenfold every sixteen days. So you could look at another country uh, that has a hundred times the number of cases we do, and you could say, "Oh, we're a hundred times better than they are," uh, or you could say, "We're thirty two days behind them." That that's a very weird way to think. And yet day after day after day, we're, we're going along that curve where every day it's 15% more than the day before in terms of the, the number of new cases, which means tenfold in 16 jumps. So that, the, the, the strip, you, if you play that out in New York City or Washington DC or Washington state, uh, that sort of curve, um, if you let that run, until it until you let herd immunity start start to get in the way of it and it starts to flatten out you are going to absolutely demolish the capability of the healthcare system um and and this is somewhat of what we saw or we're seeing in Italy um and that's when and and in a way in in Wuhan as well where that's when you really see the mortality rates ticking up and a lot of infections in healthcare workers and a loss of capacity if you allow it to um, to continue that sort of, of, of fast burn. So the idea is through the all the things that we're talking about here in terms of the voluntary um, people staying at home, reducing their number of contacts, basically, and reducing the likelihood of infecting anybody given a contact, you're dropping that, uh, you're slowing down the spread, you're dropping down the reproductive number and, um, and, and stretching out uh, until we get treatments, until we get vaccine, until we can reclaim control in certain areas and, and go back to a more of a public health containment, keep it out uh, sort of, of, of uh, policy framework. Um, and the goal is to, to not get it to the point where, where our 
um, systems can't deal with the increase. There's an expression in investing that those who understand compound interest are likely to benefit from it, and those who don't are likely to, to pay it. And I wonder if that applies here, that the mind seems to have some natural problem comprehending logarithmic yeah. growth. Yeah. No, I think that's right. I mean, there's all, there's obviously those those memes around, you know, clapping, clapping for the VC. But that <laughs> that is the uh, that is the one area where you know tech VCs probably do have an edge over the rest of us in terms of imagining what logarithmic growth looks like. It's all those Patagonia vests. <laughs> I I own several Patagonia vests. So before anybody gets gets uptight about that, um, so now when Josh laid out your uh, impressive credentials at the top of the show. Uh, we are focusing here on the epidemiology portion of it, but you know, as he led off with, you're also the CEO of a company facing this. So what has that meant for Allidade as a company? I think it's an opportunity for us to reaffirm who we are and who we serve and what we do. And uh, it's been great actually seeing like everyone in the company immediately understand this is about serving our practices and let us let us spring into action to say what is it that our practices need and you know it is it is a pretty um terrifying time to be the the owner of a small primary care practice uh seeing this this barreling down on you and not having the information, not having the guidance, not having the equipment um, to to cope with it. So we just being so close to our to our partners, right, um, has has been a blessing. So we were able to look at the situation and say, "Oh my gosh, this guidance that the CDC just gave that." Uh, you should use airborne precautions, for example. You need a negative pressure room and an N95 mask um, to to care for anyone who's um, uh, who's potentially COVID uh, positive. Just be able to take that forward a step or two and say, well, hang on, what's going to happen here? What's going to happen is one of our primary care practices is going to have a patient. They're going to come in. They're not going to have a negative pressure room because they don't. And they can't get a hold of N95 masks anymore either. So that patient is going to cough. That patient is going to test positive either then or sometime later. And everyone who was in that office is going to be told, you have been exposed and you need to go into quarantine for 14 days. So that would be disastrous uh, to, to our, our practices, uh, viability and ability to serve their patients. So we immediately began raising the alarm uh, with um, with current officials, former officials, thought leaders, wrote, wrote about it, put it on Twitter, uh, advocated for it, and the CDC, to their credit, changed that policy uh, back to respiratory droplet precautions. And um, you know, we're now again working with our practices on where should patients go for testing? Um, is their office the best place to do it, or should they? Um, they you know, triage folks over the phone or in the parking lot and, and send them to testing centers that are dedicated for that, for that purpose. Um, the other thing that we immediately sprung into action on, which was, has been really, really hard, uh, was finding the personal protective equipment for our practices. They cannot, the, the, the supply chain has broken down for them. They cannot get it from their suppliers. 
we have practices who are down to their last box of masks or out entirely. So, you know, I called in every, every chit I had, I called every health plan CEO, every public health, uh, state public health official, uh, group purchasing organization leaders, uh, and and we we knocked on every door until finally we appeared to have found a source where we could get purchase a hundred thousand uh, and ninety five masks and surgical masks um, and hand sanitizer for these five hundred and fifty practices and we're gonna we're gonna buy it and we're gonna give it away to the practices because that's what they need. Um, the other thing that we heard from the practices and I think you'll you'll hear from from Travis Broom was oh my gosh like. I need to keep seeing patients, but I can't see them in the office. What am I going to do? And advocating for changes to the federal um, telehealth uh, guidance from the Office of Civil Rights and OIG and CMS to uh, make it more feasible for practices to substitute um, uh, uh, FaceTime for face-to-face, substitute a televisit for an in-person visit, uh, be able to continue to serve their community, be able to continue to uh, to, to have revenue coming in to the practice. Um, and so within, I think, six days, we, we went through a whole uh, research analysis procurement uh, contracting, and we've signed a contract now with a, with a, with a telehealth uh, vendor that we're going to make available to all of our practices, uh, plus workflow guidance and billing guidance and regulatory guidance. Um, we recognize that our practices need to get the word out to their patients on how to protect themselves. So we are going to probably print out 500,000 postcards with the practice's name and number and instructions on uh, how to call them and what to do if you're sick and what are the the steps that you should be taking. So uh, meeting the needs of the practices, it's why we exist. And it's a, it's a great opportunity for us to uh, reaffirm who we are and, and, and what we do and why we're here. Um, Farzad, you've probably seen some of the comments online that now that people are home trying to do some teaching with their kids, they all think that their teachers should get a raise to $1 million a year. That I think we're seeing <laughs> some of the, the same thinking around physicians and primary care physicians, that as people are hunkering down and worrying about their health, that these are the people who are getting up every day and going to work. Um, so it, it's, it's just been nice to see some of that appreciation and uh, appreciate what you're saying about trying to support the, the people who are doing this. Yeah. To, to care for those yeah. who are providing care. Yeah, we we care for those who care, and and they're the ones every day who run into the run into the fire, and particularly situations like this where there's no question that they're going to be there serving their communities and their and their patients. Farzad, what's the what are you thinking in the near term, both for progression of this as an outbreak, but also you know, for Allidade and, you know, I know things are changing pretty quickly, so I won't ask you more than a week or so out, but what are you, what are you anticipating in the near term? I, I actually think, Joe, that we have to think further out. I, one of the, one of the, the life lessons uh, that I've gained from being in outbreaks is you're in a situation and the, the, the question that's staring you in the face you could have anticipated, but you didn't. You couldn't look ahead a week. And it was entirely predictable, and yet you didn't predict it, that this is the issue we would be grappling with. Um, and, and I think we actually have to step back enough and to think forward enough 
to not just react to the moment and keep reacting to the moment. So we're the country's in a in a basically right 15 day cool down, right? We have to be thinking what happens on day 16. And I guess I'll 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 tell you I think on day 16 we're going to see probably a bigger jump in the number of deaths than we've ever seen. Because those lag. Anything that we've done, we're not going to see the impact of it for weeks. So two weeks from now, are we going to shut off all of this, this social distancing and working from home and school closures? Are, are we going to have the data to say, oh yeah, things are, things are good now. Now we can relax. No, these, this is not a two week um, move. This is going to be at least four to five to six weeks. Um, and even then, we have to use this time to prepare ourselves so that at that time, we will have the testing and the testing design to be able to understand what has what is happening to the pace of growth of new cases that are occurring. And one of the concerns that I have is that there will be testing availability, but we're not going to join the simple lab testing with the collection of the clinical and epidemiologic and demographic information needed to make sense of it, to understand not just for this person, are they positive or negative, but for this town, this community, is the community epidemic slowing or accelerating? Um, we have to be thinking about those things ahead of time and preparing for them. Otherwise, we're going to be constantly at the mercy of the epidemic. Farzad, can you speak to the specifics of what is so concerning about COVID-19? Um, there was something that came out just yesterday in the New England Journal of Medicine that said that it, it isn't that it lives on surfaces any longer than prior infections, although it, it does live on surfaces. It may simply be that it sheds at higher rates in the upper respiratory tract when people are still asymptomatic. You know, what's your sense about what is causing all the, the harm here? Yeah, I think there's a lot we still don't know, and we're not really focusing on doing this, the, the, the types of studies that will help us identify, for example, the role of children in the spread of the outbreak. Um, we're closing down schools, and I think it's the right thing to do if you're going to do a community-wide suppression, but we don't know. Uh, we know that children are infected, uh, based on the contact tracing experience in the, the Shenzhen CDC, that they had the same attack rate uh, as, as adults. We don't know if they're infectious or to what extent they're infectious uh, and to what extent they serve as, 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 um, as a vector for it. Uh, we don't know infectivity in the pre, uh, the degree of infectivity in the pre-symptomatic phase. There's speculation, there's some mathematical modeling. It seems to occur. We know that it occurs sometimes, but we don't know if it's the driver of this or not. We don't know if people uh, continue to shed and continue to be infectious after clinical recovery. Um, there's even some question about how long uh, that immunity uh, can last. We don't know the, uh, we don't know the ratio of people who get infected to the people who end up hospitalized. Um, so th there's a lot that we don't know, but I guess what frustrates me is we could know the answer to these questions if we had really, really um, crisp articulation of, of what the most important questions are and directing resources, not just to get more tests out there, 
but actually to answer the epidemiologic questions. Farzad, do you see any reason for optimism as this progresses? I, I, you know, I guess I, I am feeling hopeful now. I was feeling more fearful when it seemed that that uh, people were, were not taking it seriously enough. And now I'm feeling more hopeful. And, and that's because, as, as Josh pointed out, the, the, the case fatality rate for this isn't that terrible. It's the spread. It's how quickly it's spreading with the, with, with the R0, right, of, of 2.5, 2.6. But if we can get that down uh, to below one, then we're going to start, this is going to start to, to, we're going to reach the inflection point. But let's just think about what that means, right? That, what that means is that if the average person had 10 contacts a day, all we have to do is reduce that, that average person's number of contacts to four. If we can get that reduction from 10 to four in the average number of contacts, that means that the reproductive um, number will reduce from 2.5 to below one. So we, this is eminently doable. We don't have to cut it down by 97% the way they did in Wuhan to, uh, to reduce the, to, to bring this epidemic um, uh, down. All we have to do is everyone, if everyone does their part, if instead of shopping five times a week, you shop once a week, right? You've reduced your contact rate. If instead of washing your hand, never after you, you wipe your nose, you now do it, you know, 60% of the time, that's a huge improvement, right? So it's the cumulative impact. And some people aren't going to do it, but other people are going to do it more religiously. And we as a society, all we have to do, just think about that, right? Like all we have to do is go from 10 to four in terms of the number of contacts that we have. And this thing will slow down and will wrap up. And we're going to be able to get back to regular <laughs> commerce, though we may be wearing masks, right? Um, and, and I think we have to be prepared to live life at least for another 18 months in a, in a, in a different way. Uh, but this need not be the devastation uh, that it could be if we don't take action. Well, Farzad Mustashari, CEO of Validate, epidemiologist, we appreciate your taking the time. And I, I know I speak for a lot of us when I say we are glad you're leading this ship right now. Thanks, Josh and Joe. Thanks for joining us.